Hey Jess. Hey Kat. Oh. Hey Jess. <laughs> hey. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, chilling. On this Thursday, happy it's almost the weekend. What I when I'm at work, I have a vendor call and they call it. They're like, "It's Friday Eve," like every time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a cause to celebrate, you know. It is. Yeah. So, um Today, we have a doozy of a case. Um, So last week, we went to Instagram and set out a poll asking which serial killer our um, listeners would like to hear about next. And it was between Jack the Ripper, Richard Ramirez, um, Jeffrey Dahmer, and John Wayne Gacy. And the winner was... Richard Ramirez, which is one of my least favorite <laughs> all time. Just because he's such a creep, it's like I mm, uh, nightmares, yeah. Um, so, but that was the winner, <laughs> and that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about the Night Stalker. So, do you want to get into it? I'm ready. I feel like this is definitely going to have me staying inside for... Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Before I even start, uh, I would like to give a massive trigger warning. Um, <laughs> For anything. This, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm getting it out there right now uh, that this case has a lot of rape and is very, very gruesome. Um, so if that's not your jam, which why would it be? We're all psychos here, I guess. Um, <laughs> if that's not your jam... You can definitely skip this. So, Ricardo Leva Munoz Ramirez was born on February 29th, 1960 to parents Julian and Mercedes Ramirez in El Paso, Texas. So, Ricardo, a.k.a. Richard, was the youngest of five children. He didn't have the greatest childhood at all. His father was an abusive alcoholic, and by the age of 10... Richard started smoking weed and drinking alcohol. Ten years old? Ten years old. Yep. Okay. I mean, I guess... Okay. You're in El Paso. And he has an abusive dad. Yeah. Yeah. But still ten? Yeah. It's terrible. By 12 years old, he was strongly influenced by his cousin Miguel, a.k.a. Mike Ramirez, who was a Green Beret veteran from the Vietnam War. And I'm just going to say this right now. Mike is the absolute worst. Oh. Um, Mike often boasted of his war crimes and even showed Richard Polaroids of various Vietnamese women whom he had raped, murdered, and dismembered. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Yeah. As a 12-year-old, he saw this. Yep. I don't want to see that at any age. I don't care. Oh, my gosh. That's awful. That's terrible. And to be bragging Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. 
Um, Mike also taught Richard some military skills, including how to kill with stealth and how to effectively stay hidden in the dark. Great. Let's teach this obviously troubled kid army maneuvers. An impressionable kid. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, The following year, Richard was present when Mike and his wife, Jessie, got into an argument, which ended with Mike shooting Jessie, ultimately killing her. Where was Ramirez when this happened? Was he, like, there? Did he see it? He was present. (gasps) Yeah, he saw it. Yep. Rather than being traumatized by seeing this, Richard was fascinated. Disgusting. Yep. Um... Mike was found guilty, obviously, of Jesse's murder by reason of insanity attributed to PTSD from his service in Vietnam. Oh, my gosh. After the shooting, Richard moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, who was known to be a peeping Tom. I mean, peeping Tom over a murder, I guess, but like... I don't that none of those are great role models, but okay. Like there are zero people in this kid's family who are good influences at all. That's terrible. Um, Roberto would take Richard with him on walks to creep on women through their windows. Oh my gosh! It's one thing. To so do literally, it these two like, guys. Right. So these two uh. guys are literally like molding him to be. What in the world? A, a creep. B, a killer. C, to not respect women at all. Oh, my God. Ugh. What is it? Making a murderer. There you go. There you go. By the age of 14, Richard started using LSD frequently, and it was at this time that he became interested in Satanism and the occult. I hate that word, but there it is. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) When he reached adolescence, Richard began melding his sexual fantasies with bondage, murder, mutilation, and rape. Um, While he was in school, he took a job at a Holiday Inn and would use his passkey to rob people. On at least one occasion, he molested two children in the elevator. (gasps) And he was, but he was never convicted of it or anything like that. Um, He was finally fired after attempting to rape a woman in her hotel room um, when her husband caught him and ended up beating him up. But the charges against Ramirez were dropped when the couple refused to return to Texas to testify as they lived out of state. Oh my God. My jaw is like on the floor. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, So this was while he was in school, right? He dropped out when he was in ninth grade. Oh, my gosh. So this was all before he was 15. That blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Not even 15 years old and should be should be in prison. Yeah. Just not a good egg. Um, he ended up moving to California in 1982 when he was 22. This is when he started using cocaine and began committing theft to get money to support his addiction. Love when, you know, drugs and murder and just a total psychopath are just all in the same story. It just definitely is going to give me nightmares. Okay. Oh, yeah. And we're about to get into the murders. Okay. 
So just hold tight. Um, so his murder spree went over about a year and a half. Just under two years. Okay. Um, on June 28th, 1984, 79-year-old Jenny Vincow was found murdered in her apartment in L.A. She had been stabbed in the head, neck, and chest while asleep in her bed. Her throat was slashed so severely she was nearly decapitated. Oh my gosh. Ramirez's fingerprints were found on a window screen he had removed to gain access into the home. However, police didn't know it was him because he had never been convicted of anything. I'll say he's in his in his twenties, yeah. Mm-hmm. All of this happened before he was twenty five. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Um, on March 17th, 1985, he attacked Maria Hernandez, who is 22 years old, um, outside of her home in Rosemead, California. He shot her in the face with a 22 caliber handgun after she pulled into her garage. Ramirez then went into her house where he found her roommate, Dale Yoshi Okazaki, and shot her in the forehead when she had... So, like, he walked in and she was, like, hiding because she had heard the original gunshot. And then she was hiding behind the kitchen counter. She popped her head up and he was just waiting and shot her in the head, killing her instantly. So he's just, like, he's he's picking random people. There's no motive. Yes. It's just random. It is absolutely random. Which is mm-hmm. easily the most terrifying thing to me. Exactly. Yep. Um, so get this, when Maria was shot, she covered her head with her hands and the bullet deflected off of her keys. So she survived. And according to the Netflix documentary, uh, Night Stalker Hunt for a Serial Killer, she ended up running down the street when she heard the second gunshot. Um, and then she returned back to the house being concerned for her roommate but waited at her front door because she had thought that Ramirez was going to exit through the garage where he entered. Um, but he ended up coming out the front door. Oh my gosh. And they both were like startled in seeing each other at the front door. And Maria threw her hands up saying, quote, you already shot me once. Do you really have to shoot me again? Ramirez <laughs> then he puts the gun by his side and just walks away. <gasps> okay, a like what a thing to say in the moment. Like right. I feel like I would just sit there and be <laughs> frozen with like I would literally shit my pants. <laughs> and she's just going to be a smart ass like are you actually going to try and kill me again? Like Yeah. What? Okay. Yeah. And then for him to just like snap out of it and leave. It's crazy. I know. I wonder if it's like a sea red kind of thing and and then he just like got out of it. I don't know. That's so weird. Um so he he has like a personality disorder that we'll find out later, but um, obviously. Yeah. You don't yeah. you don't you're not just normal people doing this. No. Um within an hour after he left Maria's Ramirez pulled 30-year-old 
Sai Lian Yu out of her car in Monterey Park and shot her twice with the 22. She was pronounced dead upon arrival to the hospital. The two murders and attempted third in one day attracted news coverage, and they dubbed the attacker the walking killer and the valley intruder. So he had two different names because they didn't realize it was the same person. Well, I don't know. Or was it like the names were like hyphenated? Uh, (laughs) They were used by different sources, I think. Gotcha. So like one source called them a walk-in killer and then the other called him a valley intruder. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Um, So forewarning, this next murder is especially graphic. On March 27, 1985, Ramirez entered a home in Whittier, California that he had previously burglarized at 2 a.m. And he ended up killing Vincent Zazara, who was 64 years old, with a 22 shot to the head in his sleep. Vincent's wife, Maxine, woke up from hearing the gunshot. Ramirez beat and bound her, demanding to know where she kept her valuables. And while ransacking the room, Maxine escaped and grabbed an unloaded shotgun from under the bed. Oh, no. This made Ramirez so pissed off, and he ended up shooting her three times and then went to the kitchen to grab a butcher knife. Oh, my gosh. He came back to the room, mutilated her body, and then removed her eyeballs with the knife and put them in a jewelry box which he took with him and kept in his apartment. Okay, you want to talk about mental disorder. This is just downright a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. The victims were found by their son. Oh, my gosh. And Maxine's autopsy showed that the mutilation had occurred post-mortem. So she was already dead. Well, I guess if there's a positive... To this terrible story? Yeah. The only evidence found at the scene were a pair of Avia sneaker footprints in the flower bed. Bullets were matched to those found in the previous attacks, which is when police determined that they were dealing with a serial killer. Yeah, okay. On May 14, 1985, Ramirez went back to Monterey Park and entered the home of Bill who is 66, and Lillian, who is 56, Doi was their last name. Surprising Bill in his bedroom, Ramirez shot him in the face with a 22, as Bill had been reaching for his own handgun. After beating him unconscious, uh, Ramirez entered Lillian's bedroom. So she had a separate bedroom because she was disabled. Oh my gosh. Mm Mm-hmm. There, he bound her and raped her before fleeing. Bill died of his injuries in the hospital. So he didn't kill the disabled woman, though? Correct. Okay, that's different. Also, I guess so Mm -hmm. is beating the old man, but... (sighs) That's awful. Yeah, so... We'll start to see somewhat of a pattern to where he will shoot the sleeping husband, bind and rape the wife, and then let her go. Oh my gosh. 
Just to scar the women for the rest of their lives. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, On the night of May 29th, 1985, Ramirez ended up at the house of Mabel Ma Bell, uh, who was 83, and her disabled sister, Florence Nettie Lang, uh, who was 81. He found a hammer in the kitchen, bludgeoned and bound Lang in her bedroom. Then he found Bell, did the same to her, and then shocked her with an electrical cord. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He raped Lang and used Bell's lipstick to draw a pentagram on her thigh and on the walls in their bedrooms. The women were found two days later in a comatose state and critically injured. Bell ended up dying from her injuries later in the hospital. Oh my gosh. So they were sitting there, I mean, partially alive for two days. Two days, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. The next day, Ramirez went to Burbank and broke into the home of Carol Kyle, who was 42. He bound her and her 11-year-old son at gunpoint, then ransacked the house he ended up releasing Carol so she could lead him to her valuables, but ended up raping her several times. While he was raping her, he told her not to look at him and said that he would cut out her eyes with a knife if she did. And he meant it, obviously. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, she doesn't know that, but yeah. Yeah. When he was done, he grabbed her son from the closet and tied them back together before fleeing. Um, on July 2nd, 1985, Ramirez broke into Mary Louise Cannon's house in Arcadia. She was 75. He found her asleep in her bed, attacked her with a lamp, and then stabbed her to death with a knife from her kitchen. Oh my god. Like, this is just, it's happening so fast. That's something that's so crazy. Like, there's no, like, de-escalation. It's like, and the next night, and the next night, and the next night. Uh, it's like, it's like, so the, I think the longest break was between... The first known victim and the second one. Because the first one was June 28th, 1984, and the second was March 17th, 1985. Yeah. And then he just, like, goes off the walls from there. Yeah. Like, and they're not catching him, so it's like, well, I'm going to do it till you catch me, I guess. Like, mm. might as well He's do it He's literally terrorizing the neighborhoods of California. Yeah. Yeah. On July 5th, 1985, Ramirez broke into a home in Sierra Madre and bludgeoned 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept. Oh, my gosh. He tried finding a knife to no avail and ended up trying to strangle her with an electrical cord. The cord sparked, causing Ramirez to get startled. And when he saw Whitney breathing, he fled the house believing that, quote, Jesus Christ had intervened and saved her. Oh, so he's he's a religious man. Okay. Well, he's a Satanist. I guess there's that. He don't, if you believe in he Satan, don't fuck you with must Jesus Christ. In, I was about to say, yeah, I guess if you <laughs> believe in one, you must believe in the other. Yeah. Uh, Bennett ended up surviving but needed 478 stitches in her oh, scalp. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. On July 7th, 1985... Ramirez burglarized the home of Joyce Lucille Nelson, who was 60 years old. He found her sleeping on the couch and stomped on her face multiple times. 
He stomped so hard that an avia shoe print was imprinted to her face. I'm like, (laughs) even just hearing this, I'm just getting so uncomfortable that this actually happened in real life. Like, there's so much aggression towards women. And how is it, like, it's just so weird that A, it's women, but B, that there's zero pattern to age, to race, to, like, literally anything. It's just, oh, yeah, you're a woman, I'm coming. uh, Well, it's like he... I mean, I think his main goal was to, like, steal for money to support his cocaine addiction. But he definitely, like, enjoys murdering people. Like, he goes in there with the intent intent to, if there's a dude, he's going to die. If there's a girl, I'm going to rape her. And then I'm going to steal all their shit. It's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um... He left cruising around two other neighborhoods only to return to Monterey Park and break into the home of Sophie Dickman, who was 63. Ramirez assaulted and handcuffed her at gunpoint, attempted to rape her, and stole her jewelry. When she swore to him that he had taken everything of value, he told her to, quote, swear on Satan. Okay, there we go with the satanic stuff again. Yeah. Uh, I would also like to mention that Ramirez this whole time is like stealing different cars and driving around to different neighborhoods with these different cars. Are the police like even close to catching this guy? Like this is just Um, so rapid. Yeah, we'll get there. So media coverage is happening. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I say obviously more like I hope so. Yes. Um, but police just don't have enough evidence at this point. Gotcha. Like, they still have no idea it's Ramirez. Wild. I know. Um, on July 20th, 1985, Richie bought, Richie, Richard bought a machete. He drove to a home in Glendale and burst in on Layla and Maxon needing 66 and 68 years old while they were sleeping he attacked them with the machete and then shot them each in the head with a 22 oh my gosh he further mutilated their bodies with the machete before going through the house and taking valuables he ended up selling the items that he found that night and then drove to sun valley yeah i'm like yeah just i'm shocked Straight shot. This is so much. I know. Yeah. It's so much. Like, I thought At, I thought I was going to have nightmares tonight, but now I'm positive I will have nightmares tonight. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm sorry. Um, at 4.15 a.m., he broke into the home of the Covenanth family. He shot the father in the head with a 25 caliber gun and killed him instantly. So I think with when he sold the items, he got a different gun. Gotcha. Because okay. now you'll see that he's using a 25 yeah, caliber instead I was about of to a 22. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, he then bound and raped the mother before binding the couple's eight-year-old son. 
He dragged the mother around the house, demanding her to tell him where the valuable where the valuables were. Um, and during the assault of the mother, Ramirez told her repeatedly to swear on Satan that she wasn't hiding any money from him. On August 6, 1985, Ramirez drove to Diamond Bar and chose the home of Sakina Abowath, who was 27, and her husband, Elias Abowath, who was 31. He entered the home after 2.30 a.m. and went into the master bedroom. He killed Elias instantly with a shot to the head with the 25. He handcuffed and beat Sakina while forcing her to reveal the location of the family's jewelry and then brutally raped her. Like, my hands are in... My face is in my hands. Like, I just, like... It's... Yeah. Like, enough is enough, buddy. Right. I'm just, like, sitting here, like, why have the cops not caught him yet? Like, oh, my gosh. Anything. I know. Or he repeated... Why are people not locking their doors? That's my thing. They are. Oh. He's getting in through windows. Oh. So he's, like, breaking windows. And he's... But he's, like, window screens, and he'll, like... He'll... If a house is locked, he'll keep going. Like, he will keep looking until he finds one that's not. Yes. That's her. Hence, Night Stalker. So, um, I'm going to go check all my windows tonight. Got it. Okay. Yep. And doors. Yep. Uh, this is why we... Well, okay. This is a scary one for staying inside, but... <laughs> Get an alarm <laughs> Just make sure system, your shit people. Is, yes. Exactly. Exactly. Stay fucking on oh top gosh. of it. Um, so, he... Again... He repeatedly demanded that Sakina swear on Satan that she would not scream during his assaults. When the couple's... This is so sad. When the couple's three-year-old entered the bedroom... Oh, no, no. Ramirez Ramirez tied him up and continued to rape Sakina in front of the three-year-old. He has, like, no soul. Obviously, he doesn't believe in souls, but... After Ramirez left, Sakina untied her son and told him to go to the neighbors for help. So the whole time Ramirez had been following the media coverage and decided to leave Los Angeles and go to San Francisco. On August 18th, he entered the home of Peter and Barbara Pan. He shot sleeping Peter, who was 66, in the temple with a 25. Oh. He, he died instantly. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. Then he beat and sexually assaulted Barbara, who was 62, before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. Ramirez again used lipstick to draw a pentagram and the phrase, quote, Jack the Knife on the bedroom wall. Like, that's so, and like, imagine being, you know, the officer that comes to like, look at that crime scene. Chills. Just chills. like brutal like these are brutal yeah he also left a shoe print at the scene that detectives found and matched to a specific pair of avia shoes that was not common at the time okay lead detectives lead detectives frank salerno and gil carrillo contacted the manufacturer of the shoes and were able to retrieve the soles 
Upon further investigation, the detectives were able to narrow their search down to six pairs that had been sold in the U.S. in sizes 11 and a half. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Five of those were shipped to Arizona, while one was shipped to L.A. Oh, wow. That one belonged to Ramirez. Okay. So, A, thank God. Thank God. We finally are going to get this guy. We know who he is. But also, exactly. B, what a, I mean, obviously he's a moron, he's a terrible person, all of the above. But, like, you're wearing a specialized shoe, sir. Mm-hmm. You freaking idiot. Okay, thank God people are No, idiots. but thank God. But right. thank God he was, because I don't know that they would have found him otherwise. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. When ballistics and shoe print evidence from the L.A. crime scenes matched the pan crime scene, which was in San Francisco, uh, the mayor at the time broadcasted the information, including the gun caliber, in a televised press conference. Okay, so hot press now. Uh, Yeah. The leak pissed off the detectives because they knew Ramirez was keeping up with the media, which would allow him time to destroy evidence. To destroy evidence, flee, like, whatever he wants to do yes. with it. Yeah. So after seeing that, uh, Ramirez threw his avia shoes over the Golden Gate Bridge that night. He remained in San Fran for a few days before heading back to L.A. On August 24th, 1985, Ramirez wound up at the house of James, James Romero Jr., which was 76 miles south of L.A., um, Romero just returned home from a vacation, a family vacation to Mexico. Romero's son had been awake and went to grab a pillow from their truck, which had been locked. And while he was outside, he heard rustling and thought it was an animal. Um, he ended up going back inside and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house, saw him, and then went to wake up his parents. Ramirez fled the scene, knowing that the kids saw him. Um, Romero, the father, ran outside and noted the color, make, style of the car, as well as a partial license plate number. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. If I was partially asleep in the middle of the night, like, <laughs> you're not, I'm, I'm going to be lucky if I remember to put my glasses on to see anything. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, he called the police with the information believing they, they had just chased away, like, someone who was trying to, like, steal stuff. A thief. Little do they know that they literally all could have died that night. Literally, yep. Um, shortly after this, Ramirez ended up at Bill Carnes' house. He was 30 years old. Um, he broke in through the back door and entered Bill's room that he shared with his fiance Inez Erickson. Uh, Carnes awakened when he heard Ramirez's gun cock. So he heard the click, and then Ramirez shot him three times in the head and then turned his attention to Inez. Ramirez told her that he was the, quote, night stalker and forced her to swear that she loved Satan as he beat her and bound her with neckties. After stealing what he could... Ramirez dragged Inez to a different room before raping her. He demanded to know where the rest of the cash and jewelry was and made her swear again on Satan that there was no more to be found. 
Before leaving the home, Ramirez told Inez to, quote, tell them the Night Stalker was here. Okay, so now he's, like, naming himself. Like, he... I, so he, now he's like, I'm this guy. I was about to say, he feels famous. Yes. Oh, my gosh. She untied herself and ran to the neighbor's house to get help for her fiancé. Surgeons were able to remove two of the three bullets from his head, and he ended up surviving. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Can you imagine going through that with, like, no Zach? Uh, no. I would yeah. probably combust out of just, like, I can't think about that. It's going to make me start crying. Dude, sorry. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. <laughs> sorry. I didn't mean to do that to you. But it's, yeah. I. But, no, I mean, I, no. No, I could not. Yeah. So Inez was able to give a detailed description of Ramirez to investigators, and police obtained a cast of Ramirez's footprint from the Romero home. The stolen car was found abandoned on August 28th in Koreatown, Los Angeles, and police were able to recover one single fingerprint from the rearview mirror as the rest of the car had been carefully cleaned. Wow. Like... The Literally whole car, but the mirror. Okay. Yeah. The print was positively identified as Ramirez, who was described as a 25-year-old drifter from Texas. Great. Yeah. <laughs> the, Descriptive. I see. Yeah. The identification of the print was considered a miracle as the system used to identify him was recently installed, and the system only contained fingerprints of criminals born after January 1st, 1960, which was only a month before Ramirez was born. Wow. That yeah. is, you want to talk about a miracle, a month? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I know. Um, on August 29th, 1985, law enforcement released a mugshot of Ramirez from a 1984 arrest for auto theft, and the Night Stalker finally had a face. Okay. I like that. There are many other suspected victims of Ramirez, but he was never charged. On August 30th, 1985, Ramirez took a bus to Tucson, Arizona to see his brother. At this time, he was unaware that he had become a lead story in every newspaper and TV program across California. How do you he not got know to Ari- that? Okay, sorry. Well, especially for him, like, keeping up with it. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I guess it's fair. I don't know. Maybe he was just, like, on top of the world at that point. Like, I've, I've done so many bad things. Right. Like, I'm the night stalker. I don't care who knows it. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I really can't. I'm so famous, you don't even know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I mean, he doesn't even know, I guess. Uh, he got to Arizona and was unable to see his brother because he wasn't home at the time. So Ramirez ended up returning to LA early the next morning. When he got back, he ended up walking past police officers who were looking for him. He walked into a convenience store in East L.A. where a group of elderly Hispanic women identified him as El Matador, which means the killer. Ramirez then saw his face on the front page of a newspaper and fled the store in panic. This is when he ran across a freeway, casually, and attempted to carjack a Ford Mustang, but was pulled out by Faustino Pignon. Oh. 
Ramirez ran across the street and tried to take the keys from a different woman, but her husband witnessed the attempt and ended up hitting him. <laughs> sorry, ended up hitting him across the head with a fence post. <laughs> with a fence post? Yeah. Oh my gosh! So they're just like in traffic on this freeway. He tries to get one well, car, and so then he, he doesn't. He crosses. He crosses traffic, and uh, he goes across the freeway. Ends up in like a little neighborhood area, gotcha. and then he's like literally terrorizing the neighbors trying to get away and till this lady's husband is like the hell you will (laughs) yes it's literally perfect a group of residents formed and chased ramirez down ultimately catching him and beating him up yeah (laughs) wow yeah police were called around 8 a.m but about a disturbance in the area Police arrived, finding Ramirez severely beaten, unarmed, and then they took him into custody. <laughs> Holy crap. How embarrassing for him. Who took Honestly. you down? The neighbors. The neighbors yep. took you down. I hope that that place, that specific neighborhood in California, like, has, like, a golden, like, you know how every neighborhood, like, has a sign? I hope there's just, yeah. like, gold. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, Okay. So now he's in custody and we're going to go to trial. This is bonkers. This whole story is insane. You're I can't believe that's how he was caught. Him. I'm going to. No, I know. Like, oh I know. Gosh. It's kind of. I, it's perfect. perfect. Yeah. Um, jury selection began on July 22nd, 1988. At his first court appearance, a famous picture was taken where he held up his hand and had a pentagram drawn on it and he yelled, Hail Satan. I will post this picture on Instagram. That's a way to get the jury to love you. Oh, yeah. On August 3rd, 1988, the Los Angeles Times reported that some jail employees overheard of Ramirez talking about shooting the prosecutor with a gun, which he had planned to smuggle into the courtroom. I this mean, initiated... I don't, I don't blame the guy. Like, uh... uh... No, Ramirez was going to kill him. Oh, okay. Take back what I said. I thought you meant Yeah. I thought you meant one of the jury people were going to try to kill him. Oh, no, no, no. Ramirez was going to shoot the prosecutor who was trying to get him into jail. Oh. Slash get him the death sentence. Gotcha. Anyways. Um so this initiated tightened security. Excuse me. So a metal detector and extensive sh- searches were put in place for those entering the courtroom good yeah on august 14th 1988 the trial was interrupted because one of the jurors phyllis singletary did not arrive to the courtroom later that day she was found shot to death in her apartment (gasps) the jury was rightfully terrified that somehow ramirez had committed this act of from his jail cell but it was found out later that her boyfriend had murdered her, had murdered her, and later committed suicide with the same weapon in a hotel. What a weird sequence of events. Right? I know. I was like, what the fuck? Right. Yeah. The juror who replaced Singletary was too frightened to return to her home, which, like, same. Yeah. I'd be moving. <laughs> same. On September 20th, 1989, Ramirez was convicted of all charges, including 13 counts of murder, 
five attempted murders, 11 sexual assaults, and 14 burglaries. Oh my gosh. He was sentenced to death by gas chamber. What? Yeah, but not like for a while. Okay, but like gas chamber? Yeah. I didn't... I California, didn't, baby. Yeah, I guess so. Like, I I thought the electric chair was as bad as it got, but, like, I feel like that's not as bad as a gas chamber. Yeah. That's wild. Mm-hmm. So, um, during incarceration, um, beginning in 1985, a woman named Doreen Leoy wrote him nearly 75 letters during his incarceration. In 1988, Ramirez proposed to her, and October 3rd, 1996, they married in San Quentin State Prison. You should not be allowed to get married in prison. That blows my mind. You you should not, as a woman, write a rapist. Love letters. And murderer. Yeah. Love letters. Yeah. That's just my opinion. Okay, but get this is... Okay. In 2009, DNA had come back from a case that involved the brutal rape and murder of a nine-year-old girl connecting Ramirez to the case. (sighs) This would have been his first murder on April 10th, 1984, which was months before the murder of Jenny Binkow. Yeah. And you said it was a a child? Nine-year-old girl. Leoy left him after finding out that he was involved. Which, like, why is that the... the? That's my exact thought. Why is that the the one that breaks the camel's back? That one? Yeah. Like, I get a kid, but, like... What about all the other women? I was going to say, you realize he, like, murdered, raped, tortured. Like, are, are you kidding? Like, this... Uh, what? I'm glad some... You had a line somewhere. Yeah. But, uh... <sighs> what a Anyways. line. Yeah. Ugh. Psychiatrist Michael Stone describes Ramirez as a made psychopath instead of a born psychopath because of the influences in his life at a young age. I suppose I see that, but also this takes a truly evil person. Yes. He said his schizoid personality disorder contributed to his indifference to the suffering of his victims. Stone stated that due to Ramirez being knocked unconscious, on multiple occasions prior to the age of six, he developed temporal bone epilepsy, aggressivity, and hypersexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Ramirez died of complications secondary to B-cell lymphoma at Marin General Hospital in Greenbrae, California, on June 7th, 2013. So he never was gassed to death. He just no. basically died. On I his wish own. he was. Well, Ugh. he died from cancer, but yeah. Yeah. I hope it was slow. Right. I hope it was painful. Right. Oh my gosh. But yeah. Well, at least That's... there was some justice done, I guess, for the people. Like, not really. I would not feel as if justice was done if this if I was one of the victims, but mm-hmm. something was done. Yeah. I'm just glad they caught him and that he is no longer alive. No kidding. Yep. And that he never had kids. 
I was just thinking that. I'm like, I'm glad that they didn't let him, like, with his wife. No. Yeah. No. That would have been one messed up kid. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, yep, that's the Night Stalker, peeps. Okay, so, again, checking my windows, checking the doors. I usually check doors, but now I'm definitely checking windows, so... Yes. That's terrifying. Check everything. Right? You can barricade yourself in. That's okay, too. I won't judge you. Okay, thanks. Just board up the walls <laughs> and windows. It's good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to reach out to us, uh, give us any suggestions or just say, what's up? Um, email us at stayinsidepod at gmail.com. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Stay Inside Podcast or follow us on Twitter at Stay Inside Pod. Yeah, yeah. And lock <laughs> yourselves in your house. Right? Gosh. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs>